Welcome back to another episode of the Individuation Podcast. My name is James Mollis. We've got a very special episode for you today. Today is episode two of the three-episode series called The Case of Mrs. X. My good friend, Dr. Lahab Al-Samurai, takes you on a deep dive into one of his cases. Today, he talks about the healing relationship and takes parts from the book, The Alchemy Healing, as a lead-in for the case. And don't worry if you don't know much about the healing relationship or alchemy healing. Dr. Al-Samurai brilliantly breaks it down for you. So without any further ado, Dr. Al-Samurai, take it away. So um, I thought before I, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present the case to everybody, and I thought before I do that, what I'd like to do is uh, here's the case study. What I would like to do is talk a little bit about the healing relationship. And uh, this book is The Alchemy of Healing, and it's by um, Edward Whitmont. So he says, to state the above principles again from depth psychology, we have learned that all therapeutic relationships are subject to dynamic, dynamics of transference and countertransference. So we all have a connection to transference and countertransference. We, under, we understand the dynamics of the world through this. We read the energy of the other through this, right? The, tra- the transference and countertransference is our main tool of understanding the other person more than the words they use, more than their own personal language, right? And then after that comes dreams, fantasies, and then after that comes narrative. So if you think of it that way, these dynamics essentially represent intensifications of the normal processes of mutual projection and projective induction of those complexes, activated by the nature of the encounter, encounters participants and their personal similarities and polarizations, right? So the archetype is always on two poles. The complex is also bipolar. It's an archetype. The father complex, the mother complex. Okay just a couple of complexes. We have a ton of complexes. Inferiority complex, superiority complex. We have a ton of complexes. All complexes are bipolar. Inferiority, superiority. King weakling. Queen weakling. They all flow, remember. Swings from one side to the other side. These projections are both archetypal and personal. Aspects of the archetypal healer who wounds and is wounded as well as aspects determined by the particular individual personalities and their histories. So the healer does both. They can heal you. They could also wound you. 
You know what I mean? When the healer is not in their conscious self and they're reacting unconsciously to you, they could, they could wound you. So you're coming in to take care of your pain. They've asked you questions that have opened up holes and let in more pain. They can wound you. Okay. So no less than the occurrence of illness, healing is also an act in the performance of a drama. Well, how do we get better? I mean, let's talk about this. How do we get better? What is the number of one thing people say when they come back from the doctor? Oh, they told me I'm gonna be okay. I tell my patients, you're gonna have a great week. They come back after having a great week. How was your week? Great week. I know. Amazing, isn't it? As they're leaving the door, have a great week. Instead, before they leave, I say, you're going to have a great week. I know you are. It's already like circulating through them. I had a student I was trying to explain this to on a shift. I kept going, you're going to have a great week. She goes, I know I am. I said, yeah, you are. You're going to have a great week. So she would come back and say, I said, how was your week? Oh, I had a great week. I said, yeah, I know. I told you. She goes, no, you didn't. I said, okay, fair enough. At the end of each rotation, I would tell her the same thing. You're going to have a great week. So she goes and comes back. She's forgotten that I'm the one who's telling her this every week. She's thinking she's telling herself at this point. Until one of the other students pointed it out to her. said, by the way, you know, Dr. Asamra has been saying to you the same thing for like five weeks. That's what we need to tell our patients. I was trying to give an example of what we do for our patients. What does the doctor say? You're going to be okay. Oh, I should be over this in three days. They even give you timelines sometimes. Like, oh, after three days, you're fine. Okay. So, healing is drama. Healing is an interplay of two actors. One is the healer. And the other is the person that you are healing. The healer and the actor. The actor and the healer. It's a dance. You know many, how many times patients come to you not because they have a particular problem, but they just need self-assurance that everything is going to be okay. You know what you find yourself saying? Everything's going to be okay. 
That's what they needed. They came that, they projected on you unconsciously, and you told them exactly what they needed to hear. It is the second, the onset of the illness being the first act of the particular dramatic staging. The archetypal play demands the observance of appropriate ritual to be effective. What is appropriate ritual for NDs? What do you do when a patient comes? You take temperature, you take weight, right? Yes. These are the rituals. You know, when people say, we don't have rituals anymore, it's something stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. They're speaking out of their ass. They're smelling gas. We always have rituals. So rituals are patterns, archetypal patterns. We don't have old rituals. We have new rituals, but it's still a pattern. It's still a ritual. I love listening to the puppies. Instinctively, a good physician, as well as most patients, realize this fact. We call it good bedside manners. The proper ceremonial of dress and deportment, the ritual of surgeon scrubbing, etc. Healer and patient are destined actors with archetypal assigned roles in a sacred performance. The healer's personality is overshadowed by the stage mask of the healer's God, which includes his potential dark side. Basically the shadow. The divine intruder destroyer, the patient's archetypal role is that of a supplicant but harbors also a healer archetype role is that of the supplicant, but harbors also a healer destroyer in its unconscious depths. So the doctor is not just healer. They're also destroyer, right? How is that? Feeling better about themselves or uh, feeling better or your destroyer of illness. You are killing the germs. In the mind of the patient, the doctor is the destroyer. The patient is destroying illness, but in their mind, no, you are. Otherwise, if I could destroy illness, I wouldn't come see you. I don't know I have that power, but I know you have power. It doesn't matter what I know about the power. As long as I believe, Right? The archetypal elements of the wounded and wounding healer are shared by both participants in the doctor-patient intruder relationship. Tilgint and Kuwakto, shamanic faces and headdresses incarnate the situation profoundly. So we wear white coats, we wear things around our neck that makes us hear people. We look serious. We have notebook in our pocket. 
we walk with power. This is all part of play. Have you seen doctors walking through hospital? It's a play. Oh, we are visiting patient number five. We are patient number, hey, it's play. Think of life, this is life, this is what we know. We learn through play. We live through play. Understanding play is how we understand the world. Well, for the sake of calling down the powers of healing, the proper dramatic ritual must be observed as archetypal channel. The participants need to remember that they are not the roles they play. They are both more or less than those roles. The doctor carries the mantle of the God, although he is a human being with limited gifts. Skills and fears of her own weaknesses and illnesses, which is also needed to be admitted and respected. So the doctor is both healer and patient. The patient is not just a humble supplicant or victim. She or he has the right responsibility within the process. Foremost among them, the right to be seen, respected as a person in his or her own way, rather than a case, the responsibility for allying with life, will, and inner healing power. So the more rapport you have with patient, the more you give the patient relief that you are going to be healer by creating a relationship. All of you are becoming NDs because you walked into a doctor's office and they treated you like you were a piece of soap. They washed their hands, they stuck things in you, and then they walked away and said, oh, okay. They wrote a script. You decided that's not good doctor. This is why you have become what you are becoming. You want to become healer. That's always the case. We are always thinking about becoming healers. But there's always a duality. The healer is the patient. The patient is the healer. Of necessity, the ways in which archetypal factors are actualized and embodied in the healing encounter are determined by the personal qualities and attitudes of the participants. Personal complexes challenge themselves into archetypal elements with which they happen to resonate. Past experiences and caretakers, siblings, partners, enemies, modify or accentuate the specific archetypal predisposition of redeeming healer and intrusive spoiler. What's a redeeming healer and what's an intrusive spoiler? Intrusive spoiler says, there's nothing wrong with you. It's all in your head. Get the fuck out of here. Spoiler alert. Because it's intrusive. At a deep level, I know it's in my head. 
but you insulted me. You didn't act like a healer. You didn't tell me. You didn't trick me. You didn't do your magic. You didn't say, come sit on table, let me, t let me check blood pressure. Oh, blood pressure, normal. Heart rate, oh, normal. Breathing, huh? blood pressure, mm -hmm. you're looking good. I don't see it. Are you sure you're feeling bad? So to the patient, the healer may appear as a power vested paternal or maternal authority figure. At times, also authority vested other figures, teachers, siblings, friends, etc., may provide the modifying personalizing elements who rhymes over life and death from whom nourishing support is expected. As parent-like authority, the healer may evoke various aspects of unresolved parent-child conflicts, fear of abandonment, love and desire to be loved, resistance, rebellion, truculence, frustration, avoidance, hostility, or even a need to defeat the therapist through rendering the treatment ineffective. Clearly, the more the healer identifies with the rejects or glories in the authoritarian power, <coughs> excuse me, the more those difficulties will be evoked and will complicate the other problems. <coughs> so the more the healer acts like the dictator, I know you don't know shit the more you're going to provoke your client into taking on a role where you become more of a paternal or maternal figure and they're a child. And thus the pitfalls of that is that they're completely dependent on you. Now they can't fart without asking your advice. The other pitfall is that they see you as somebody who um, is an antagonist and they want to defeat you. So they're going to try everything you have and tell you it doesn't work. I tried that, didn't work. You have another idea? Right? So then they become an antagonist because now it's like, okay, I forgot why I came here for, but I know you have triggered me. And so I'm going to do whatever I can to trigger you back. So it's like a, so a, a lot of the healing is part of your ability to adapt to the projection. How do they see you? Do they see you as a friend? Do they see you as a good mother, a good father, a good brother? How do they see you? They see you as aloof? Remember, the more conscious you are of their projection, the more likely you are able to play within that realm. If somebody knows too much, 
and will not participate in their healing. You could always say, yeah, I know, you know everything. I don't know why you're here. But if somebody comes in who doesn't know anything and says, whatever you think, you start to teach them about what the problem is. You want to help them with that. You want to connect to them. So connection is different. So you're both healer and spoiler. That's just the manner of projection upon you. And that's also your bipolarity. We, remember, all archetypal patterns are bipolar. The person who heals, the person who spoils. Two poles. You could swing in either direction, depending on how stable you are. You should be somewhere in the middle. If you're swinging left too high or right too high, you have a problem. Conversely, in projecting upon the patient the unresolved problematic of his own helpless or sick child, the one who still needs to be cared for and loved or to rebel against authority, the healer may unconsciously try to treat unacceptable parts of himself in the patient. He may then need to use the patient as a source of comfort or unconsciously hold him or her at bay as a threat. The healer's own problems, his or her helplessness, fear, or self-hate are then foisted onto and projectively induced in the patient as distorting elements, adding to the existing pathology. The inductive effects of our unconscious projections modify another person's emotional and perceptual fields. Seeing an enemy in, in any other person makes him so. It literally evokes hostility or defeated feelings in him or her. Projectively, seeing one's own despair in the other aggravates the person's existing pathology and often induces helplessness, hopelessness in the other. So by identifying and saying, yeah, you know, I, I have depression, you have deflated the patient. The patient didn't come to you to know about your depression the patient came to be relieved of their depression. They didn't want you to share that you have depression. What that means is like, I came to the wrong fucking place. Who the fuck is this person? Therapists are depressed too. They don't want to know that. You know, like uh, I tell you, uh, students who are in the rotation, I say, you don't need to tell them anything about yourself. It's not about you. Do not say anything. Well, you know, what about personal? I'm like, no, you are not personal with them. You say name. They ask you questions, say, hmm, interesting. Why do you ask that? So I shouldn't say anything about myself? I said, oh, come on, seriously anything well you can't go from one extreme to the other extreme you're still you're a human being oh this is your fourth year of uh, 
being a student as an MD? Yes. Okay. But isn't that personal? No. Personal is when you say, I, I, you know, my partner and I fight every night and I'm so disturbed because I'm tired and I didn't wake up this morning. That's personal. Has nothing to do with the patient. You and your partner have nothing to do with patient. You think this doesn't happen. I know. All of you look at me like, Dr. Al-Samurai, this never... You would be amazed. You have to be conscious of these things. Otherwise, if you're not conscious of them, you're going to act them out. If you have a conflict at home and you're not figuring out what the conflict is about, you're going to try to figure it out while your patient is talking to you about conflict because they have triggered that conflict within you. How do we know this? Transference and counter-transference. We're sitting there. Hence, our own pathologies, when not consciously borne by ourselves, cannot be presumed to be without deleterious effects upon our patients. The general emanations of the healer, his or her ways of being in the world, will tend to further either health or illness in the patient regard, regardless of the healer's skill and conscious intention. In addition to the projections and distortions and misorientations and flaws mentioned above, the general field effect of the therapist denied and repressed suffering adds disparaging and enfeebling radiations of the patient's state. So, the worse the healer is hurting, the harder it is for the patient to feel better. You but always go through analysis. You have, to, you have to understand your own motivations. You have to understand your shit. If you could look at yourself and be able to discriminate what is mine, what is not mine, it's always a good start because then if you are in the situation where you are facing a patient and you know your stuff is all over the place, you know, you are still able to connect to the patient from a conscious level. It's the disassociation with the healer. If that, that healer is like in a bad relationship and they walk into that room and they do couples counseling, or marital therapy. They're not going to be helpful to the patients. They're going to make them worse because they've disassociated from that piece of them that would make them workable and that would make them... If you cannot heal yourself, how are you healing the other person? This is not mechanic. We're not cutting something open and removing something and putting it back. That's not what we're doing. We are using 
the transferential field to help them heal. Well, how can they heal when there's an aspect of us that we have just disassociated and it's glaring? When you're going through a bad time in your relationship, and you sit in front of clients who are going through bad relationships. What are you thinking about? Your relationship. You're not thinking about theirs. Well, that's the problem. That's a disassociative aspect of the psyche because the psyche, even when it's disassociated, will continue to work on the problem. So the more integrated you are, the safer, the better the patient feels with you. If you are a piece of crystal that fell on the floor and you're in a thousand pieces, it's not helpful for the patient. Remember, you are the container. And for them to heal, you have to be able to contain them. That means that you're contained. At a certain psychological level, you're contained because otherwise you're not being helpful to the patient. Even though you do all the right things. Like I treated it the way it should have been treated. I told him to do everything he needed to do. He says that it's not working. Well, did he take it? No. It works because you work. It doesn't work because you don't work. So the further you are out from the patient, the more psychologically in tuned you are to the patient, the more you're able to help the patient. It doesn't mean that you're, it doesn't mean that you can't treat people while you are wounded. Sure you can. But are you effective enough? No. Are you hurting yourself more? Yes. Is it, is it going to cause you to break down for sure? And I don't say this because um, I've heard of other people do this. Shit, I did this. I kept working more and more hours thinking that I could do anything I wanted to do. That I could do more hours. I didn't care. And I couldn't. It was crazy. It was like I was possessed. And then I crashed and it was like, oh shit. You know, we're not always at the top of our game. We have to always be conscious of ourselves. This is how we can keep from losing perspective and losing ourselves in what we're doing.
there is a numinous quality to it, you know? Everybody knows numinous? Some kind of divine quality. We call it numinous. There is a divine quality to healing, so you, it's very addictive. People are getting better, and you're working, and it's like you see more people, and it's like, I could do this, and then you're almost in a manic state. You're not conscious of it. But you're in a manic state now. You're possessed by the archetype. You're possessed by the healing archetype. And what it's doing is driving you over the cliff. I was seeing up to like 50 patients a week. That's insane. In four days. That's insane. You don't do that. How did I think that was going to be okay? I mean, I started slow. The first year I was there, I started really slow. But how did I think this was going to be okay? How did I think that I could do it? And I did it for almost two and a half years, nonstop. Possession. I was possessed. I couldn't say no. And I know that part of me takes over at certain times. That's why I always have to watch myself. Because I can fall into that pattern very easily. And I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. I can do that until there is nothing left to do. Like yesterday, I did like six sessions. I hate doing six sessions in a day. It's terrible. Because A, you're exhausted. By the end of the day, you are just drowned out. So your next day is going to not be very tolerable because you're tired. And you're, you're kind of trying to recover and you still have to do certain things. But why do that to yourself? Because as you know very well, when you are possessed by the archetype, and all of you are possessed by the archetype, whether you know it or not, you are here. Therefore, you are possessed by the archetype. You would not be here if you weren't possessed by the archetype. I bet you, all of you didn't know that. You thought you were just here because you wanted to be NDs. That is possession by the healing archetype. You have been possessed. You see yourself as a healer unconsciously. That's the archetype. The archetype is saying, yeah, you're a healer. Yeah, you're a doctor. Yeah, you need to do this. Yeah, you need to work more. Yeah, you need to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it overtakes you. So you always have to remember you have breaks and limits and take some time off and schedule some time off. 
and make those limits sacrosanct. Nobody can touch them. Don't let anybody tell you that you shouldn't. Absolutely you should, always. Limit yourself. Say enough, I'm okay right now. You, you, you won't face so much burnout. Also remember, you're driven, whether you like it or not, sometimes on automatic. So if you had a long week, take a couple of days off. It's been a long week, I'm gonna take a couple of days off. Always remember, healer, heal thyself. That is your first job. Second job, go heal the world, it's okay. So, the unchecked urges for power and control, the ego's resistance to change and transformation are shared by both patient and healer. So whatever you're asking your patient to do, First, ask yourself, would you do that? Don't ask them to do shit you wouldn't do. They're not going to do it. I want you to drink lemongrass every morning. They're not going to do it. Are you doing it? Where's your lemongrass? How are you growing lemongrass? Okay. Don't advise patients to do things you would not do. because you're being disingenuine and they will know and it will look like you're faking it, not being it. Being it means that when you say something to a patient, say, yeah, this is, this is the treatment. Know in the back of your head without having to say it, that you would do that treatment for yourself. That's the first thing you would do for yourself in the position of the patient. Your ability to go back and forth between being healer and patient is your greatest asset as a healer. And it's your greatest asset at staying grounded and not being overwhelmed by the archetypes. You will all be overwhelmed by the archetypes. That's just how it is. But you could make it more manageable for yourself. When something draws you so much that you can't do anything but it, question it. Say, what the hell is this? Why? Okay, he also talks about power and control, the ego resistance to change and transformation. That's another aspect you have to remember about your patient. The ego has patterns of power and control. They don't like to give them up so easily. You know, I don't believe that 
you know, you're telling me my cheeseburger every day is killing me. I don't believe you. So you're going to have to introduce something that looks like a cheeseburger, but is not. You know. Oh, I am going to give you a magnificent burger or unimaginable burger or whatever it is. But you need to replace it with another pattern. You cannot replace it with nothing. You can't replace it with lemongrass juice. I don't know what's up with lemongrass juice in my head. I'm going to go get some today just for fun. Keeps coming back. But you can't replace that with this. There's a reason they want that. Understand the reason. Then you could find a pattern to replace it with. It was probably connected to something that was done as a ritual with family or people I liked. And therefore I kept it. Your job is to make them conscious, but it's not to terrify them by it. So you can't throw it in their face. You're going to have to talk them into it. You're going to explain it to them. You're going to break it down for them. Because remember, you're the authority. They're going to resist the authority. So now you have to be smart. I'm not taking anything from you. You are choosing something else. Or as my patients like to say, Dr. Asamari, are you fucking with me? I'm like, yes. But it's true. I don't have to take anything away. You could replace anything you want. You want to feel better, right? Okay. Take this away. Add this. Change this. Slightly. Change the pattern slightly. You don't have to change the pattern completely. Do every other day. Try half meat, half breadcrumbs. Vegetables. Make a kebab out of it. Give them something else. The object is connected to me through the pattern and it serves a purpose psychologically for me. Understand what purpose it serves, then I could help you give it to me. I could help you give it over. As soon as I understand why psychologically you're doing it, why you're eating a hamburger every day, I could take it away from you. I cannot take it away from you if I don't understand the psychological motivations behind it. I, 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 I don't know. So the basis is built on the psychological assumption that I have in my head, whether rightly or wrongly, does not matter.
Remember, the philosopher Nietzsche says, all fact is opinion. And all truth is relative to you. So, taking those into context, I need to know your truth. I need to know your psychological ideas. I need to know why you do the things you do. Not why you need to do these things. No. Why do you do the things you do? Then I could talk to you about you. I can't talk to you about you if I don't know why the things you do. If, if I come in and all you're doing is giving me a list of changing my eating habits or this, I could care less. Remember, I am a human animal. I will graze and say, oh my God, I ate too much. I will eat bad things and say, oh, I'm not going to do it tomorrow. Human animals, so you have to talk to human animals and say, hey, this is what you're doing. This is how you're doing it. This is why you're doing it. Do you want to change it? Because when they tell you they don't know why they're doing it, well, you're screwed now. Because how are you going to change it if you don't know? You have to help them understand why they do the things they do. Psychological change is the hardest part of living. Why? Because we are set in patterns and we don't like to change things after we have them. Think about it. People who are traumatized sometimes take years before they really get into like uh, getting treatment. Why? Because it's like it takes up so much time. To think of treatment, you have to have time. You're defending against the trauma all the time. You spend most of your day defending against it. So that understanding is important. The stronger the relationship, the more you're able to convince them to do something. The weaker the relationship, the less likely you're going to get them. And if they're resistant from the get-go, understand the resistance right away. What does it mean to them to be resistant? What does it say about them? In their heads. Listen to the story they're telling you about how they saw these other doctors. Don't dismiss it. It's important. Because how they saw these other doctors are, is going to be how they're going to see you. So listen. Listen to the story. What is the story? Okay, tell me. What's the story? If they're not telling you a story, then don't ask about other doctors. 
Ask about treatment, ask about illnesses, ask about other things, but don't ask about doctors, who cares? But if they're telling you about other doctors, then listen, because that means they've had bad experiences. That means their resistance comes from not trusting. That means you need to create a relationship and make them feel secure in relationship. That can only happen if you feel secure in yours with yourself. And go with the resistance, by the way. I don't want to take meds. Great idea. That's not. I hate meds too. Really? Yeah, it's okay. <clears throat> go with the resistance. Just like judo, just go with it. What are they going to do? Suddenly they're going to realize, well, he's not resistant to this, so I don't know what I'm fighting. As soon as a patient says, I don't want to take antidepressants, I say, okay, screw them. They don't work anyway. Because that's what they believe. So why am I arguing with somebody trying to convince them of something? Is it for me? No. It's for the treatment of the patient. That's what they want to believe. Okay. But now we have to find, a <laughs> we have to find something else. Now we have to treat you with something else, you know, because you're resistant to magic. So we have to use super magic. I have to go deep in the cave and bring out my very secret, secret book with all the remedies in them. Can it be done, Doc, without antidepressants? Sure. You're going to need to do a lot of work. Do you accept the challenge? Yes, I do. Okay, great. Let's do it. Resistance is about fear. And lack of trust. and control and power. Why should I give you my power? Why the hell are you here? I had a patient who came in. I don't know why I'm here. I said, I don't either. <laughs> I'm here because this is my job. Why are you here? Tell me. I'm very fascinated now. Kept talking. Stayed my patient like five years, still sending me postcards. I don't know why I'm here. I said, I don't need that. Fear, resistance. What are you going to do to me? You're mystical, by the way. Remember the archetype. Remember the projection, you are mystical, you're a healer, you know things, you know secrets. You know how the world works, you know how energy is transferred. 
So, accept the projection, just don't float away. My experience is consciousness. I experience the world through the development that I have psychologically. If people around me were supportive, you know, like Achilles, my mother dumped, you know, dipped me in a river where nothing can harm me except for my heel. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's not about the inner child. It's about you. There are aspects of you that are going to demand certain things of you. Remember, developmentally, we go on this line, but it doesn't always go straight. What happens is along the way, we might take a dip and then come back up and then take a... The developmental line changes depending. So if somebody interrupts my development at five and I skip that part, Kindergarten was a fucking nightmare. That's going to be a problem for me later on. Anytime developmentally I have problems, I am less integrated. The more my developmental uh, life, psychological life went on its course, in a healthy way or good enough way, then I was okay. Once it starts to diverge, then you get all kinds of things. That will do it for episode two of our three episode series, The Case of Mrs. X. Don't forget to tune in next time for episode three as Dr. Al Samurai deep dives into his case with Mrs. X and takes us along for the journey. We here at the Individuation Podcast, thank you for tuning in. And hope to see you here again next time for episode three of The Case of Mrs. X. We at the Institute of Conflict greatly appreciate all of you listeners. Please share the podcast with your friends and spread the word. If you would like to help expand our community, like us on Facebook and Instagram and give us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Sonia Mahmood and you've just listened to the Institute of Conflict Individuation Podcast. We'll be back soon.